You're listening to Version Control, Pound and Grain's digital news show. It's been two months since the team at Pound and Grain brought a new guru into the Toronto office to mentor, course correct, and guide us to victory. That guru is Tyler Lockyer. Though everyone at Pound and Grain has become well acquainted with Tyler by now, staff and clients alike have been heard to question what is it that actually drives this marketing Jedi Knight in our midst. Like the proverbial hero that appears out of nowhere to save the day, Tyler has swooped into the room without revealing many of his mysteries. That is, until now. Tyler claims that he is not the mythical character that we believe him to be. He's just a guy who happens to have a ton of digital marketing experience and knowledge to share. Wise and humble. He can choose to downplay his dynamism if he wants to, but we're still going to see him as a North Star guiding us to untold accolades. The team has questions, though, about marketing, about the future of digital, about Tyler himself, and today is the day that they will finally be answered. We open the floor to the pound and grain staffers in both Toronto and Vancouver to let them get their most burning queries off of their chests. Version Control presents The Hot Seat, featuring Tyler Lockyer. Probably the newest member to the Toronto office, Nick? Uh, I believe so. One of the newest members also to sit down in the hot seat. That is true. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it actually feels pretty cold. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does now. The interrogation is just beginning. <laughs> uh, so, Nick, my first question is to you, actually. is like, what, what, when, when Tyler came around and was like, hey, I'm Tyler, I'm new here, what was your first impression? Well, I met Tyler, and I was like, hey, man, we had a little chat, you know. And then I said, so what are you, a producer or something? He said, I'm the managing director. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm sorry, sir. (laughs) I'll I'll go get to my seat. (laughs) That's actually not how it happened. And I remember this. Uh, This is actually a really funny story. So um, in my head, I thought that. I I think Nick said, I'll have to go find out what that is. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a really, that's a great segue. Uh, Tyler, why don't you tell us what does the managing director at Pound and Green do? Uh, that is a great question, and uh, I think one that I'm still carving out a little bit. I think it's a role that um, is sort of uh, driven by the organization itself, and, and I think, especially in, in the agency world, agency to agency, it might vary a bit. Uh, a bit. So um, we're kind of carving that out. I'm carving that out with the partners, for sure. I think we're in an interesting spot in in Toronto, Toronto's a really active community f- in d- in digital in the digital world. So, um, what does a managing director mean for Toronto and and for pounding grain Toronto and then pounding grain as a as a whole? I think um, I think it's an interesting question and uh, and not to, to to escape it, but practically, I think uh, it's a bit of biz dev, a bit of biz strategy. So, what services are we uh, selling, enhancing, what services do we want to add? 
I'm sort of part of all of those discussions. Obviously, client health and happiness is another thing. Uh, but then, of course, because this is a sort of people-delivered service, it's a lot about ops and, and, and um, production and client happiness. So what if your three-year-old daughter, Sadie, said, Daddy, what do you do? What, how would you answer that? That's the toughest. I say I work for the internet. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I, uh, um, I had to say that I think when I started doing this stuff 15 years ago to my parents because they had no clue. And it's like it's so inside baseball that you can't even articulate it sometimes to people because they just sort of snooze off. Do you think that your parents would understand more now? Um, like, do you think that the, the general nomenclature of the internet has reached the point where people just know what the stuff means if you say it to them? I think they know what the internet is now. So I think it, that line resonates more with them, but, uh, details, no, I don't think they know. I think they know how to, um, text, Hmm. which is cool. Uh, and they know how to do mobile banking, but that's about it from uh, a digital perspective. Right. So that's that's where the boomers still stand for the most that's, part. That's that's it. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. If I maybe if I worked for a, a, a banking app or something, it would resonate more. Cool. I one time showed my dad what Control Alt Delete did, and from then on, he just thought I fixed computers. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a fascinating time. I think we. I, I had this thought, I, I thought, we still work with people that worked in the 60s. Totally. Which is a weird thing to think. Yeah. And like what was their day-to-day like? Um, carrier pigeon. Yeah. yeah. It was a simpler time. <laughs> Allegedly. I don't know if it was, but yeah. yeah. So we actually pulled the pound and granosphere for questions to ask Tyler. We got a lot of great ones in, and so we've handpicked a few of them so the pod doesn't last six hours. Um, and the first one is from Ivana, our copywriter here in the Toronto office. And she would like to know what surprised you the most about digital in the last few years? Yeah, that is a, that's a loaded, that is a lengthy response to that question, I think, because it's, you know, it's, I, I've sort of, like I said, I, I, I've been working in the industry for about 15 years. So I think 15 years ago, the stuff we were doing was so basic compared to today and almost every it you you almost don't notice it but when you kind of look back retrospectively in the year prior you realize oh there there's this thing or that thing or this strategy du jour or whatever that you're now playing with and and buzzwords to beat the band for sure but um three years ago Three and I, and I, this is just purely my own experience, but I think three years ago I was really big into the effectiveness of digital marketing, and at that time we, my my business partners and I were running an inbound marketing framework basically. So we were it was a little bit about lead management and performance and um, building marketing plans that were the most efficient and effective, and that was sort of our angle. Uh, at that time, I think the power of search was um, was was obviously known and there, but um, it was on the rise. Um, content marketing, all of that stuff. So I think three years ago, that's where my head was at, and then from there, it just became more technical. 
So uh, what does sort of automation look like? What does personalization look like? And I think um, the big tech players, Adobe, IBM, et cetera, are really trying to disrupt marketing with personalization engines and automation. And so I think, yeah, I think over the last few years, I don't know if I've been surprised by it because if you've been in the business long enough, you don't really get surprised by a lot. But I think the thing that's fascinated me, I'll turn it into more of a, a thing that's fascinated me has been to see where those tech companies are in their ability to sort of automate uh, and personalize. So it's been 15 years. Are you still excited by digital innovation? I'm totally excited. I'm, I'm actually more excited than I had ever been because I, like I said, I think, you know, I used to get really excited about like a nice experience that linked well together, you know, mm-hmm. and, and sort of like took people on a journey online, that sort of thing. Um, but as I get more and more involved on the business and business sort of marketing side of things, um, that's what kind of strikes a core at the nerdy part of me and kind of the business geek part of me. And that sort of intersects, I think. And, and yeah, that, that is more exciting than ever because I, I struggled a long time with people that I, and I, I hate to say this, but didn't respect digital, certainly didn't respect website strategy or the power of a web asset. Where are um, they now? <laughs> um, they're, they shall not be named. <laughs> they're printing newspapers. But they are, they so are in the La Brea tar pits. Yeah, <laughs> no, they've likely changed tune uh, for sure. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, um, yeah. Speaking of changing tunes, this next question comes from our director of strategy, Penny. Um, but she wants to know what the biggest difference has been from moving from client side to agency side. Also, I have an addendum to that question. Can you talk about when you were on the client side? Uh, sure. So, um, yeah, so I, I had the opportunity to be really ingrained in, in marketing teams from a, from a digital, I guess they call that sort of like fractional marketing. Cause I, I sat in marketing teams, but as through holding companies. And so I was never really in the marketing team, but, um, definitely outside of what would be a traditional agency model. Uh, and I think, I think the accountability on that side, the accountability that marketers feel and have, I really started to empathize with. I think, um, you know, we struggle with, you know, clients not really buying the strategy or buying the work. <clears throat> and, and arguably I was sort of in that pool too, thinking, oh, if they could just see the, the power that this could yield. Um, but I think ultimately what I realized over, over years of that experience is um, understanding that there's so many different demands on marketers and, and different things that they're dealing with uh, internally and mark advertising particularly is, is a sliver of, of marketing and a sliver of what they're tasked with. So empathizing with that and, and understanding that marketers have no inclination to be working at an ad agency. So they're not, you know, they don't, I don't think that they really care to understand our processes or approach at times. I think that they're, like I said, tasked with so many other things. 
So for me, it's empathy. I think to, the short answer to Penny's question is uh, empathizing with marketers and really the, the role and the tasks that they have to deal with. So when, when from the agency side, when we're like, ah, frustrating client, yeah. you're, you're always the first one to be like, well, what? <laughs> yeah, I think that we need to kind of like, we're really inside baseball, like yeah. I was saying. So I think we need to understand that, you know, our process is important to us and it's what sort of makes magic happen a lot of times, but um, that that's our own thing. And I don't think, um, I don't think clients have time to, or nor should they really understand how the, the magic's made. So uh, your origin story goes back quite far, not to call you old or anything, but then, no, you, I'm know, old you, as did, <laughs> you did mention you've been working in digital for 15 years. Mm -hmm. So you've worked at a number of agencies and mm -hmm. a number of different brands. Um, but other than me getting down on my hands and knees and begging you with beer to come and join us here at Pound and Grain, um, what makes this place different uh, than some of the other places you've, you've said? Oh my at? God, I, that I could also talk uh, for hours about. I really, you know, I think I, I, I said once to my old business partner that Pounding Grain was kind of where we wanted to take our thing when we were doing it. And, and we were, arguably, we were doing more sort of marketing consulting, um, but really content marketing and delivering assets and executing those strategies were was really what we wanted to do because we wanted to provide impact. And that's very much what I see Pounding Grain doing. And it's so refreshing. Like even when we go in with um, an idea or a solution, we we tend to go in with it sort of fully packaged. And I, I think it's refreshing to see that. It's not just an idea on a slide. It, it, Pounding Grain can bring things to life. And I think that that is really uh, important when you're kind of selling solutions to to marketers and to clients because they can see it and it's easier to buy things you can see. And so we do things you can see, which I, I really, really appreciate. I think that, so that would be one thing. I think the other thing is it's not a holding company, which or it's not owned by a big holding company. So the independence of it is, is really refreshing. I think I just spent some time at a, at a big holding company and um, you know, it comes with many challenges that start to block the, the work, I'd say, or, or at least at least get in the way a little bit of the solution, I think, in some ways unnecessarily. And I, I think arguably even the people that own those holding companies would probably say that too. Like there's, it, they are built for a very specific enterprise level client uh, in a lot of ways. So I, I think being more nimble and stepping outside of that is something that fascinates me about pounding grain for sure. And then the last thing I'll say is the, the ability to be part of something that's on the upswing and growing is really cool. And so we're able to kind of look at uh, trends and how m digital marketing is evolving. And we're able to be on the right side of that conversation pretty quickly because scaling up for us is easier than like a, a traditional agency model. Um, so I think those are three things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That, that question was actually from our junior strategist, Marguerite out in the Vancouver office. So hi, Marguerite. Thank hi, Marguerite. you for the great Thank question. You. Yes. 
Um, the next one is from me, and I kind of, I, this is always my favorite story about Tyler. I just kind of want, want you to be able to share it. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, I want you to talk about how you became a brewer or a brewmaster. Oh, my God. Um, geez, I feel like all my answers are really monotone and, and boring, and like we're, we're going to lose uh, active listeners. Uh, but I, this is kind of exciting, I think, a little bit because it's beer, and beer is awesome. So I think it, it, it goes back to this um, marketing consultancy I had started with a couple of my business partners, um, uh, Dave and John, and we were making some money. And during one of our visioning sessions we had had with the, the company, we were sort of very much in startup mode. We were about, I think, seven, seven people at that, that time doing a ton of work. Um, but we were making some money, and so we had to make a decision on how we would grow and what that sort of growth strategy looked like and what we were investing in. And um, we toyed with sort of like, how do we productize or um, do we automate some aspect of a marketing strategy or, or a marketing service and try and sell that? And I thought, we should just invest in a brewery because because <laughs> that makes logical sense as yeah, one does <laughs> well i'll tell you the two thoughts were it will likely cost as much as some product that we would build some piece of software and probably take the same time <laughs> so purely looking at those two metrics i was thinking um and also uh, we all kind of had a passion for fresh independent local beer uh, so I thought we should do that. And we were in, luckily enough, a really interesting loft style building that had a cement floor and that was uh, licensable. Um, so I thought, let's just invest in that. Um, the other thought I also had was, you know, we, we talked at that time, again, we were doing marketing. We were doing a lot of business consulting in, in regard to marketing, but sometimes not. And sometimes it was about digital transformation and bringing people into e-com or something or getting them online in some meaningful way. Um, but I was sort of like, I was talking to all these business leaders and I got a little bit tired of being kind of like an armchair business consultant. We were talking to a lot of manufacturers too at the time. And before that I'd, I'd been at a lot of ad agencies that were claiming to solve business problems. And, th and I was thinking like, you're the only problem you're solving is a comms problem for one. And two, you're not really looking at the full breadth of the of a business or the business. So I got a little tired of being kind of an armchair business strategist, and I, I really wanted to understand what it meant to build a manufacturing business and a business that was, I think, more in, in a lot of ways more complex than, than certainly consulting. Um, and so, yeah, I, we drafted a business plan got the licenses, brewed the beer, tested the beer, um, took it up to kind of like an MVP and then merged with an established brand and then I came back. Is that beer out in the world right now that we can try? Yes, it is. That beer is called Hogtown. When are you going to bring us some? <laughs> uh, I think, that, is there some in the fridge? There should be. No. Yeah. Maybe. We can definitely check right after this meeting. Yeah, it does. <laughs> we're at a, yeah. a Friday morning. It's definitely time to crack into Tyler's beer. Awesome. <laughs> I just think it's, it's super fascinating because coming from like a very like heavily digital background, you decided to like on the surface kind of really pivot to something very granular, very product focused, but also 
um, tangible, like something that you can, it's a product that you can create with your hands. But then the way that you explain it, it actually does make perfect sense as to why you would want to try it. It had, had the perfect sort of um, interest from the three partners. Mm -hmm. You were still building something. It was, you looked at it as an investment and as a bit of like a change in what you guys were doing, mm -hmm. but the philosophy was the same. So I thought that was always really interesting. Yeah. I liked, I like the idea of sort of product marketing is a, is a specific type of marketing, which I, I really like. It's sort of consumer benefit driven, um, for sure. But, uh, ultimately I did want to understand, uh, like how to, develop workflow for a manufacturing facility like all of the the interesting like what distribution means how to how to uh, develop a supply chain and manage that and do all of those different types of aspects of business other than comms mm -hmm. i really wanted to dig deeper into that and also which i don't talk about too much but i did i did want to i was really curious to to understand how you can transform a business from a service based to a pro product based and get um, customers versus clients. Right. And so I had this whole trip about cust the customer, the customer in, in sort of relationship in, in a lot of ways kind of ends at the transaction where a client begins at the transaction. And so, um, so yeah, one's based on loyalty and one's based on service, right? Yeah, I think that's another way you could spin it. I think I think we were we were <laughs> we would get these clients and we would charge them our upfront fee and then we would have a lot of pressure on us to make impact off that fee. And so the transaction happened and then it was go time to kind of prove the value of the thing and the money they just gave us. Where with beer, the customer comes in, not the client, the customer comes in, they pull the beer off the shelf, they give you the money, and that's it. Right. Right. <laughs> they know the value of the dollar, the impacts there once they drink it and, and drink a lot of it. It gets really impactful. But uh, This conversation is making me so thirsty, by the way. <laughs> I know. Seriously. This is going to be hard to make it through the day now and not have any delicious Hogtown beer. I honestly, I feel like, um, I feel a little bit like I should have had two beers because... I tend to drone on and on about um, nerdy crap like digital marketing. and so Nerdy crap like digital marketing is why we're all sitting here. So exactly. that's exactly what we want to hear. That's true. <laughs> um, we have a great question from Ivana, who is, what's her title? Ivana is our copywriter here in Pound and Grange. This will be her second question that made it to Whoa, the panel. She, Whoa. she got two. She got two in there, yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, she's got three all told in the questions, so we'll see if she gets them all in. But here's I a mean, good one. She is a writer. So. Yeah, yeah, true. She's got a lot of questions to ask uh, and a lot of words to make. But what's a recent example of digital marketing that made you think, man, that's good? Uh, I'm a hard sell. <laughs> uh, ooh, you know, I, I'm actually going to kill myself for saying this. Um, because the way I kind of, I, I, I think about digital sort of twofold, which is a whole other thing and stream of thought I'm not going to totally get into, but the short answer would be, um, uh, how Shutterstock reacted to the fire festival debacle. That was great. And they used their own stock assets to recreate the promo for that crappy festival. And, um, from a real like direct response, real time response, content marketing perspective, I thought that was awesome. I'm not inclined to say that's digital, and that's the tricky part for me, and that's why I say I'm going to kill myself because 
um, that's video. And I think the internet is full of video for sure. And, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, content consumption of video online is massive. And, but that, I don't think that makes it digital to me. I think, um, you know. But their service is digital. I mean, they're a stock content service. Yep. So what I and I'm gonna I'm gonna defend the digital side of that and, and great let's mainly go for because um, I would I would totally agree with you if it was a service where you would physically walk into a Shutterstock store and buy clips. But I think what they were trying to say with that, obviously with along with like the topical nature of the Firefest recreation, um, is that you don't even have to leave your desk to do what they did. Yeah. Um, and that to me is a, a quite a powerful digital message is that we don't have to, everything is a lot more convenient th this way. We're able to get that information and get that content and create something. Um, and the only way you're able to do that is through communication over digital channels. So the transaction would be made digitally. The files would be transferred digitally. So I'm taking a very literal approach to it. Yeah. But I think it, I, you, could, you could see it as a digital project. Yeah. You, you you almost have me there, Scotty. I'm like I'm actually the, I, it it certainly falls on the digital spectrum somewhere. I think on first pass, I would call that content marketing and sort of file that somewhere under digital advertising. Um, it's a it's a bit like saying when TV went sort of from analog to digital or to cable, like cable then changed what TV was, but ultimately it was just, it's still TV. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make it any different. And now, now that content is OTT and delivered through the internet, it doesn't really change what it is. Mm -hmm. and the, the delivery mechanism has, has sort of changed, but n no one really cares about that necessarily. Kind of like how we're essentially on talk radio right now. 100%. And I think that that was one of my nerdy show and shares, which was at our MMM. And I don't know if I don't know if we have listeners. Monday morning meeting. Do we have listeners? Is well, we have Probably a, not to this one for sure. But we have at least seven. Okay. <laughs> uh, per, per episode. Awesome. So I'm sure those seven know what the MMM is. Um, but uh, yeah, so I shared that, which was like this... Um, People are glomming onto digital and, and claiming things. Oh, I'm you know I've transformed my company because I have a YouTube channel or something like it's. I think for me, I get nerdy and territorial about. Um, I'm not going to say true digital because that sounds obnoxious, but the <laughs> spectrum of digital. I can respect an advertiser that does display advertising online and say I'm the head of digital marketing, and that's that. There's power in doing that, and that is one part of digital. I think for me, I'm a little more passionate about the other side of the spectrum, which would be a, a business service or something delivered, like driven by technology mm -hmm. and sort of claiming that as, as digital. Um, I think in the entertainment space, there's a lot of really cool digital things happening, technolo te technology disruption, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so uh, that, so the, I'm going to claim the, the Shutterstock marketing gimmick as, a, as my favorite, most recent digital marketing thing, but... Um, with a caveat. With a caveat to say that it's just one sort of part of the digital spectrum filed under digital advertising content marketing. That's fair. 
It was also... But you did almost show me Scarlet. <laughs> it was also just a really cool video. So. It was also... And yeah, video is great. Video video should be everywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been at Pound and Grain for a few months now. You're still um, still quite new. But you've had your hands in a lot of different projects. You mentioned the MMM. So you're, re you're restructuring how we're doing some of our cross-country meetings. Um, you're in a lot of new business stuff. Can you talk about like what's one of the most exciting pieces of work that you've been involved with since, since coming here? Yeah, okay, that, that is also a big one. I think, um, you know, working with the partners who have been absolutely lovely and absolutely accepting of me and, and sort of my thoughts, my ramblings, uh, I think getting to work with um, Sandy and Jackson on sort of a, a, a business development strategy for Toronto and for kind of the Toronto market and and what that kind of looks like, what what we can do, and we have a little bit of a different zest um, compared to to Vancouver, not only from a market but I would say from an office perspective too. So really, sort of defining what exactly that is and what those opportunities are. I think, I think first and foremost that like, I, I like peeling, peeling the onion and really getting, uh, to see what's underneath. And, and I think them, those guys allowing me to do that and work with me to do that was, I think probably the best thing that for sure, for sure. That last question was from Isabel, one of our, uh, producers out in the Vancouver office. Um, I'm going to pipe in there. My most exciting project that you've worked on since coming here has definitely been when Tyler made Negronis for the whole office. Um, that was great, day four. That was day four. Have not forgot about it. You have not eclipsed that yet. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's resonating so hard. I'm supposed to make drinks tonight and I don't know what to do about it. I'm like, is it going to eclipse the Negroni? Probably not. I think it might because I think we actually have genuine Irish whiskey to deal with. Do you have any suggestions on what we could do with this genuine Irish whiskey? Hey, it's my turn, and oh. I say that's... You're getting it neat. <laughs> Everyone gets it neat with a side of water. I say one ice cube, personally. Okay, you can have that. Yep, that's, that, cool. that's exactly how I would do to that. To really just to open up yeah. the whiskey? Yeah. So grown up. Wait, look at us now. I know. <laughs> so alcoholic. <laughs> um, here's a great, another great question from Ivana. What are you most excited about for the future of Pound and Grain? And you can keep that, I think, uh, you can talk long-term or next week if you want. And working with Scott and Nick is a perfectly viable answer. <laughs> well, that is a given for sure. Um, oh, there's a lot of things that I'm really, really excited about. I think, um, like I said, it's so having kind of worked on what that development strategy looks like now, sort of executing on that, I think, like I said, the ability for us to adapt, grow, transform, be nimble, add new services, uh, enhance services as, as sort of new things come into play in the industry. I think all of that, I think I'm most excited about seeing us uh, grow our service offering, grow our client base, grow our people, um, and become more of a force in Toronto. I think Toronto is a fascinating city to work in, I think, period, but uh, also in digital and I think also in marketing because I think there's a lot, again, digital is a spectrum, but I think um, there's so much, well, I don't think I know, there's so much 
happening here in regard to the tech space. Um, and if we could be a part of that conversation in a small way, that would be amazing. But, but even just if we support that through digital marketing, that would also be awesome. <laughs> so how do, like where, I'm excited to define more where Pounding Grain sits in the Toronto digital space. Short answer. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Good answer. You want you want to take this last doozy, Scott? Our last our last question, you know, and it was instructed to me to ask this question because we're asking for a friend. Um, but Tyler, <laughs> why have you not done your timesheets? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that concludes this episode. Yeah, I had a feeling you'd stumble over that one. Thanks for listening to Version Control, episode forty. The Hot Seat, featuring Tyler Lockyer. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on iTunes.